Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Welcome to Embers and Wind. I am your guest host this week, Jason Carr. And before I introduce our super special guest for this week, one of the things that has always troubled me as I've been in my professional career has been dealing with conflict. I recently participated in a training session where the trainer asked me the question, are you comfortable with conflict? And i be honest with you, I'm not. I'm not comfortable giving constructive feedback all the time. And I remember always feeling that tightness in my chest or having that stress of trying to give this feedback. But alas, we have a person that is an expert at giving constructive feedback, and he has shared this on his podcast, Embers and Wind. This week's guest is none other than our founder of Embers and Wind, Keith Weedman. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be able to interview you this week. Thank you, Jason, so much for your complimentary introductory. So Keith, as I mentioned, in my working with you, we focused and talked a lot early on about giving feedback. And that is just a place that where I've always really struggled. And I always marvel at people like you and other people I've seen in my professional life where it just seems effortless. And before we jump into talking about how you deal with that, I think for all of us, we learn how to deal with a multitude of different things from when we grew up. And so I'm very curious to understand more about you and, and allow the listeners to know a little bit more about you. And tell us, where did you grow up at? I grew up in Kokomo, Indiana. So would you consider Kokomo this booming city or a small town or something in between? It was a small town. Okay. And then did people in that small town, um, did you face a lot of conflict in that small town? Was it something that everyone kind of engaged in or what was well, it like first, living in Kokomo? As I was growing up, I was somebody who used to get picked on by others. So the first thing I did was I insulated myself. I created a protective ball. Then that got me curious about how to give somebody constructive feedback. So growing up, sounds like we had some similar childhood there where when I was growing up, I was bullied a lot as a kid. And like you said, created that protective ball. And you know, as I went through high school, I kind of found that group of people that really 
made me feel comfortable. And when I talk about with my kids all the time, it's about finding your tribe and, and starting to form into your formative years. Did you find your tribe in high school? It was in college that I found my tribe. In my fraternity in college is when I find my tribe. I took on the role of being a pledge trainer, and that was a perfect fit for me because I was responsible for developing pledges to become good active members of our fraternity. I made a commitment when I was going through pledgeship and our membership class dropped from 24 to eight by the time we became activated. I made a commitment that that was not gonna happen with the pledges that I led. He talked about in this of being put into the situation where you're having to develop these pledges you know, get them through the program and so forth. Was that within your personality wheelhouse to do this? Did you say, yeah, I want to do this? Or were you kind of pushed into it? Or how did that happen? It was a natural fit for me. When you look at my skill, the sensitivity I got from being bullied growing up, I didn't want that to happen to anyone else. So I actually was somebody who treated people differently, who treated people with respect even before they became active members of our fraternity. And they resonated with that way of being treated as their pledge trainer. So I was able to get all 18 pledges through the pledge ship. All 18 became active. That's what I feel really proud of. That is fantastic. And then that is a Thank huge you. goal to me, especially considering what happened the year before. And, and do you attribute that to just being respectful to them? And being that person that can come to and talk to? Had a lot to do with having an open door policy, with treating people with respect and letting people know that, yes, I was approachable. They knew that I was somebody that they could count on. Even in the midst of Hell Week, they could count on reaching out to me. <laughs> That's really fantastic. I'm just picturing in this college sitting there. And I know from when I was in college, a lot of the fraternities during Hell Week, they would, would, of course, have parties. And one of my roommates was going out for one of the fraternities. And he came back and said, I, I don't, I'm not going to do this. He went to, mm -hmm. I think, two different parties. And he said, mm -hmm. Jason, these guys are so incredibly just mean and wrong. And it's just not for me. And my friend Chris is a fantastic guy and would have been a great addition to that. I wish that he would have had someone like you to engage with. Yeah, once people get through pledge shift, life can be easy. And really, when you're considering joining fraternity, people treat you really well. And that's why the warm and welcoming mat is on and open. Now, what attracts you to wanting to be a social worker? Well, what attracted me to that was this care about people. I really cared about people. I really wanted to lift people up. And to me, that's what looked like the best play to do that. Today, I can see that really it's still the same thing. But to me, the most important way, the most effective way that I can lift people up is by being a teacher. I consider myself a teacher, a different kind of teacher. I teach ideas that people can immediately apply to elevate engagement and performance in people they lead. That's what I do today. And that feels like the right fit for me. Through me knowing you, 
I know that after you got out of college, you transitioned into uh, your career in social work. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different exciting training that you went through. What do you think was the most impactful for you as it relates to what we've been talking about with managing conflict and managing what, giving constructive feedback? What was most effective for me was I became a volunteer at the Lafayette Crisis Center. And I was really good at that. I was really gifted. In fact, I immediately became a trainer of additional volunteers. I resonate with the role of being a trainer because I would give people both positive feedback to both reinforce that they were on the right track. And then I would give them specific constructive feedback, help them further elevate their engagement and performance. So it was a way that I could help them to learn. Feedback is so important. Constructive feedback is a critical part of helping somebody develop to their best potential. What kind of things did they teach you specifically in dealing with the crisis? What they taught us to do, it's not just relevant to crisis. Sometimes people just need somebody who listens, who really cares about them, who reflects that they care. So I learned about active listening skills. And when it wasn't a crisis, I practiced active listening skills. Active listening skills involves both identifying the feelings that you hear under the words and letting the person know that you hear them by summarizing what they say and identifying what you believe they're feeling. When you can do that, people can feel connected to you simply by listening to them and by them knowing that you really care because you're really listening. People can feel that connection. And just that process was healing for them. I thought then I wanted to become a master in psychotherapy. Interesting. Can you give an example of what that would look like as far as that active listening? Well, the example I'm going to give you, somebody who was going through the Lafayette Crisis Center training was somebody who was on track to become a clinical psychologist. You would think a clinical psychologist would already have the skill set that they would require to be effective as an active listener. I will always remember there was a young man who lacked skills, but I believed in him. And by believing in him, it made it easy to implant the skills in him because he felt that belief. So it's like you're leading from the heart. It's not just giving feedback to say you're not meeting this expectation or, hey, you did something wrong. Now I need you to correct it and and smack them on the hand. It's more of really trying to understand the person and leading from the heart. Well, that's a piece of it. But the other thing, I've got to tell you this story. This story is going to tell you the rest of the story. I applied what I learned in the Lafayette Crisis Center when I became a manager. I thought I was really good at giving people both positive feedback and also constructive feedback. In my second year, the second person I hired full-time, she was a pretty good employee. She had a lot of strengths, but there was one thing that I remember is a soft spot that she could improve. And I gave her feedback about that soft spot during the course of her annual performance review. She reacted in a way that I didn't expect. She first started sobbing 
I sat there, I didn't know what to do. I had lost control of the interview. Then she suddenly got angry. She lashed out at me. She told me that you are the worst supervisor I've ever had in my entire life. That really stuck me. And I avoided at that time getting locked into dysfunctional conflict. I knew enough to realize I tapped into something that was dysfunctional. And I knew enough to not slip into that trap and get into an argument with her. It was tempting, but I didn't do it. What I can tell you is several years later, I learned what was missing. And what was missing was the person who has a stronger conviction actually influenced the other person. And I gave up, I surrendered my control when she started sobbing and I didn't know what to do. That was where I failed, where I fell short. So talk to me a little bit more about what you mean by the stronger conviction and what you learned from that to apply later on to become an expert at being able to give this type of feedback. Well, let me first dive into Toastmasters because you're in Toastmasters with me and you know in Toastmasters that there is a faith in people, in people's potential to both receive positive feedback that also reinforces their performance and constructive feedback that elevates their engagement of performance. We get really good in that place. That's a safe place to give somebody constructive feedback because there's a pattern of people receiving constructive feedback and elevating their performance with that feedback. We believe, and people can feel our belief, that they are going to improve their performance. And it's that feeling of their belief, and they know that we come from the right place, that we see their potential, and we're helping them develop. That's a healthy, constructive feedback environment. The question is, how do you create that environment elsewhere? Mm -hmm. And that's where it's so important that people feel your belief in them, that people know that you see their potential. I look at people completely differently today, and I attribute that to additional training I received. What was the additional training that you received? It was a course called Mastering Psychotherapy. I was so excited by my ability to affect change through brief interactions after taking that course. It was an eight-day course that I signed up to get a master's degree to learn more from the psychiatrist who taught that course. Let me share another story with you, which illustrates what I learned. Okay. So after I'd taken that eight-day course, I had a confrontation in the office with this guy, I'm gonna call him Mike. And Mike was somebody I knew all about. I used to believe that 5% of the people gave the other 95% of the people who received benefits a bad rap because that 5%. So Mike was number one on my list of the bad 5%. I got more complaints about Mike than any other client. The complaints were always the same thing. Mike is bragging, why should I work when I get food stamps? Mm. He knew how to get under people's skin with that statement. And I knew from what I learned in that course that it's really the assumptions you have about people. And I invented the useful assumption, my first useful assumption about people we served 
was that each person is interested and capable of becoming financially self-sufficient. Each person wants to become financially self-sufficient. And it was approaching Mike with that different approach that enabled me to have an impact with him. But before I had an impact, I found myself face to face confronting Mike in the office. And there were several things I knew about Mike at the time I had this confrontation. What I knew about Mike was whenever the police received a report that involved a domestic disturbance and Mike, they always sent two squad cars, which was four officers, because they knew if Mike was involved in a domestic disturbance, there was a risk to an officer. Oh, wow. The other thing I knew was he had a felony conviction on his record. He had once attacked a detective from behind with a knife. He was dangerous. I knew he was dangerous. I knew he was capable. He was built like Popeye. He was really powerful. And to the best of my knowledge, he was the biggest, baddest person that I knew in Montgomery County, Indiana. And when I was confronted with him, there was a commotion in the lobby. Somebody was upset. Typically, when the authority figure steps in, I was the authority figure as the county director. I stepped in to intervene. I found myself face to face with Mike, except when I was face to face with Mike, he didn't calm down. He said, either you give me my food stamps or I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And he said it like he meant it. I got Mike out of the lobby and I got him in my office and I closed both doors. I knew that somebody was going to call the police. And all I needed to do was buy it at most 15 minutes of time. Then when 15 minutes went by and nobody came to my rescue, the police officers, I realized, oh my gosh, people think I can handle Mike. So (laughs) most of the time, my armpits were sweating profusely. They were like a small stream running down both sides of my armpit. I had a sport coat on, I had a tie on, and I was so wet from perspiring that it soaked through to my sport coat. And much of the conversation went something like this. For 90 minutes, if he beats the shit out of me, I'm going to have him arrested. If I have him arrested, he's going to make bail money. Come back and beat the shit out of me again. You talk about a lose-lose. He would lose and I would lose. I used every ounce of my persuasion skills to get out of that situation without getting the crap knocked out of me. He just simply needed to go back through a process to reestablish his eligibility. It didn't matter that he complained, why should I work when I get food stamps? He was entitled to food stamps because of his financial situation. What I did was I got out of that situation and then I started thinking about, well, what if Mike really wants to work. I approached him the next time, 30 days later, when we small talked in the lobby. It was interesting through that intense experience. It was like we bonded with each other. We small talked in a warm, friendly way. I said, hey, Mike, how about me helping you get a job? That's when I learned more about Mike and work. He said he wouldn't do janitorial work. That was beneath him. He wouldn't work in a factory. That was too hot and sticky. He thought then, and he said he thought it'd be cool to drive around town delivering bread in a bread truck. He left the office that day thinking I was going to help him drive a bread truck. I thought about it. Here's a guy with a felony conviction with an anger management issue, drug issues, alcohol issues, and he is too picky. 
I didn't do anything to help him. Third days later, when he came back in to get his benefits, we bumped into each other in the lobby. We small talked again. This time he popped the question with me. He asked me, how's my job search going? I said, I haven't done anything. He then said, how come? I said, you're too picky. He said, what do you mean I'm too picky? I said, you won't work in a factory. Without any hesitation whatsoever, he looked at me right in the eye. He said, I'll work in a factory. I didn't give him a job, but I called an HR manager that I knew at a local manufacturing company. And she had a foreman that was doing interviews. And this foreman interviewed him. And Mike wanted that job so bad that in spite of all the reasons, they could have said no, including he had a felony conviction on his record. They hired him. I started getting a report from that HR manager on a weekly basis. Mike's knocking himself out to outperform other people on the line. Mike is really shining to impress his foreman. 30 days later, when I bumped into Mike, I told him I wanted to take you to lunch. That was when I saw a very different side of Mike. I found out this big, bad, mean guy was totally uncomfortable going to the restaurant. He was uncomfortable because he believed people were looking at him. Sure enough, I was able to get him to go to the restaurant with me in spite of that. And during the lunch, he was darting his eyes from table to table to see who was looking at him. He would look and then dart his eyes back and forth. And he had no idea that he was actually creating a self-fulfilling prophecy with a negative effect. It was his glance from table to table that drew people's attention to him. Like, who is this guy and why are they behaving in this way? He had no idea that he was doing that. Wow. That has been making me sweat as we've, as you've been telling the story. So if you think about it, you could have just completely avoided that conflict with him being outside and creating all of this ruckus. You could have just sat in your office and ignored it. And you would have not been helping the people that work for you. You would have not have ultimately helped him. But by engaging into that conflict, as scary as it was, very scary, uh, it showed him that you cared enough mm -hmm. to be able to engage in that conflict. I think that's a very good lesson for us all to think about when we're thinking about conflict, when we're having conflict with someone in our personal life or at work, that if we walk away from that conflict, it's going to look like that we just don't care. But if we engage into that conflict with the right heart and the right mind, then that can turn out in a very positive way. Maybe not all the time, but most of the time, I can see from the example that you gave, that's just what the person needs. Yeah. Would you agree? The way I look at it is people perceive the world in a particular way. And some people perceive the world in a way that brings the worst out of them frequently. And Mike was somebody that perceived the world, that perceived himself in a situation in a way that brought the worst out of him, typically. And when you interact with somebody, you can help them change their perception. When you help them change their perception, you can elevate their engagement and performance. You could say that Mike was a great role model for what I do today, because what I do today is I help leaders learn how to effect change that elevates engagement and performance. Mike went on from this encounter with me. He kept that job for one year. 
what was interesting was he never came back in to apply for food stamps. 10 years went by. I was commuting to a job in Bartholomew County, Columbus, Indiana. And it was a one hour and 45 minute drive one way. I was commuting and I stopped at 6 a.m. to get a cup of coffee at a gas station. I bumped into Mike for the first time in 10 years. He was dressed like a workaday Joe. I asked him where he was going. He was on his way to work at a different local factory. Mike had changed his life. He had also changed my life because I went to graduate school because of my encounter with Mike. I figured if I could affect change in Mike, I could affect change in anyone. So Absolutely. Mike inspired me and I inspired Mike. Absolutely. That's, that is a tremendous story. Thinking about just taking that little step. I mean, it was a pretty big step <laughs> considering what you were going into, but just taking that step and pushing yourself to get outside of not only your comfort zone, but to change his perception of what was happening, that not everyone was out to get him. At least one person that he was having a conversation with wasn't out to get him. And that right. started to change how he saw the world and how he would move forward with through the world. Now, you Thank took you. this information, you know, what you learned from this. You said earlier you're a teacher and you wanted to be able to teach what you learned from interactions like this to, to help other people provide better positive feedback, constructive feedback, help people change their perceptions through those brief interactions. Right. Can you talk a little bit about what you do today to help coach people and maybe give a practical example of how you recommend people to give constructive feedback? Well, let me first say the word coach is probably not the best word for me. The word teacher is much more accurate because a coach, an ICF certified coach, does not give people answers. All they do is ask probing questions. Probing questions can be highly effective. The way I changed involved me being asked probing questions, open-ended questions that got me to think about who am I and what do I do? But a coach is limited in what they can say and what they can do to be, keep their certification. I am not a coach. So you consider yourself a teacher. How do yes. you go through and then teach these principles to other folks? like that so, practical approach to constructive feedback. What I learned was I learned that perceiving is a creative act. I learned this in graduate school. I learned that even knowledge can be limiting. And an example of limiting knowledge is your personality. One way of looking at people is you can say people have a personality. And to me, that diminishes what's possible because most people understand personalities being something that's locked in something that they're stuck with for the rest of their lives. You know, I look at it as being nothing more than a deeply ingrained habit. Any deeply ingrained habit can be changed if you have a compelling reason to change it. And that's why I was able to overcome what some people call being shy. It, it was my personality. But I looked at it in a different way as being a deeply ingrained habit. So there's a guy named Albert Einstein. He once said, no amount of experimentation can ever prove me right. A single experiment can prove me wrong. It's a mindset of a true scientist. And what I learned in graduate school was to take that mindset 
and apply it outside of the field of science. And I chose leadership. And when you take that theory, that statement that Einstein made and apply it to leadership, then you can perceive things in a different way. You can change your selection criteria for how you perceive to useful, which is the most useful way to perceive people and situations and even repetitive patterns. It's not useful to perceive them in a way that limits possibilities. Yeah, it's not useful to look at a person that maybe is struggling and just assume that, oh, this person's always going to struggle. They just don't care or they're not a right, right fit for this or maybe from an education standpoint, you don't think they're smart enough. There is something else that could be in there in that mix that mm -hmm. you can see through talking with them and find that nugget to help them move forward. Yes. Am I on the right track here? You're on the right track, but I want you to look back at Toastmasters again. So in Toastmasters, you know from your own experience that people come in with one level of skill when it comes to leadership skills and when it comes to public speaking skills. And you've watched enough people change in Toastmasters to know that anybody's capable of affecting change. Hmm. We can all build our public speaking skills and our leadership skills. Yeah, absolutely. In Toastmasters, anyone and everyone can come in. And the great thing about when people come into Toastmasters is they're expecting to get feedback. They are signing up yes. and paying for you to give them feedback to help them improve. Whether it's positive also, or constructive, they're expecting it. And if you don't deliver that, then they're disappointed and they leave the club. When you're yeah. at work, it's a little bit of a different situation where the person's coming in to do their job every day. And maybe that constructive feedback, like you were giving to the person that you were giving a review for, mm -hmm. they're not so receptive at receiving that constructive feedback. What, if you well, had to look back, how would you have changed or what have you learned to change how you deliver that constructive feedback? Well, to me, the important is people must understand your intent. They must feel your belief in their potential. And the way I look at people today is completely different than the way I used to look at people. Today, I see people as being an abundance of hidden potential. And I know that people can unleash something, including leadership skills. If you look at leadership skills as being nothing more than skill to influence people, if you look at leadership skills in that way, everyone can become a greater positive influence on other people. That's what we do in Toastmasters. And that's what we can do in the workplace. But it comes from people perceiving us differently. And we are responsible for how we're perceived by the people we work with. It's not easy always, but we're capable of changing their perception, changing their perception to be able to perceive us even at work in a way where they know that we believe in their potential, that we see their ability that goes beyond anything they've demonstrated up until this point. So there's talent and there's a lot of companies that identify talent. And they use instruments to identify talent. And some people are deemed to have talent, and some people are deemed to lack talent. And if you take that instrument versus yourself, and you see people as having potential without regard to having talent, 
but they have potential to develop themselves in new and new different ways. Then you can make an impact with somebody, anybody, anybody on your team. That is a very good session of teaching there and really understanding your people, taking that time to understand your folks and have those interactions with them so that you can, for lack of better words, change their perception or, or manage that perception to what's true. And what's true is that you care about the people that work for you, the people that you're serving, and then the people in your life. Mm -hmm. And if you get out of your comfort zone and kind of put yourself in that place, that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable and share that with them, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And what I would say, it's a little pushback. It's not so much understanding who they are, but it's appreciating what their potential, what they can become that's empowering. Ah, that's a, thank you so much for that. Because when you say, when I said understanding, I can see where that becomes something much, much deeper that would keep you from taking action where if you're saying, I appreciate, and I'm not making poor assumptions that I appreciate what, who this person is, then it allows me to take action a lot faster and show that person that I have that appreciation for them a lot faster. Well, when I look at you, Jason, I see a future keynote speaker in you. I see somebody who has an abundance of potential and I know what you're up to. I know you have a passion to teach. I know you have passion to lead. And I know as a keynote speaker, you can differentiate yourself from all the keynote speakers by focusing on sharing powerful ideas that leaders can immediately apply to both build their skill affecting change that elevates engagement and performance. That's what I know about you. You have the potential to be that leader. Thank you so much, Keith, for that. As the listeners of Embers and Wind, they have learned a lot about you through listening to your many different episodes. If they want to reach out to you and get in touch and have more of that teacher relationship, how can they get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me is with my email, keith at level3bydesign.com. That's K-E-I-T-H at level3bydesign, the number three, dot com. And if you reach out to me, you can also reach out to me by cell phone. My cell phone number is 812-343-2697. I strive to respond to an email or to a phone call within 24 hours, barring weekends. Thank you again, Keith, for allowing me to come on as guest host again and, and really help share what I've learned from you with everyone else. And, and what I've learned is that you are a person that has this uncanny knack to see the potential in others and help bring that potential out. You've done it with me so many different times. And I've seen you do it with so many different people through Toastmasters, through Rotary Club, through other things that you are involved in. Again, everyone take advantage of this wonderful person and what he has learned. And please reach out to Keith. Keith, any last parting thoughts before we end? Well, the, the one thing that comes to my mind is you, Jason, 
and your potential. So you're teaching my curriculum and you're doing it highly effectively. I'm quite proud of the work you've done at the Bertha McKinney Works Program. And I'm also quite proud of the work you've done within Toastmasters Club. You've demonstrated, in my opinion, the ability, the skill that you already possess to be able to affect change that elevates engagement and performance in people. Thank you for doing that. Thank you so much, Keith. This is where we have to say goodbye. Everyone, please check out Embers and Winds previous episodes. And again, thank you so much, Keith, for this opportunity. Hey, thank you, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers and Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.